All right. Well, you guys ready for the word this morning? All right, let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And Lord, this morning as we dive into your word, I pray that our hearts would be open and ready to receive what you have for us, that your word would accomplish in our lives what you intended to accomplish, that we'd be challenged and that we'd be convicted. Because Father, we don't want to leave here the same way that we came in. So Father, we just worship you this morning and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and continue on in our series of the Gospel of John. Uh, For those of you who are visiting for the first time today, thanks for coming. We're so glad to have you here. And we just started a series on the Gospel of John. Um, My projections are that we will probably be done with this series this time next year. So we take it slow when we go through these things. We go verse by verse. We don't skip any of the hard parts. And we're going to see what what God has for us today. So this is our third week, and we're going to finish up the first chapter of John. We're going through verses 35 through 51. And as we're going through this, it's going to be interesting if you kind of look back and read this first chapter as a whole, you kind of see the path that John is taking when he's sharing the gospel. First, we get this amazing description of the Christ, the nature of who he is. We learn that he's the creator of the universe. And then we find out that this word that he's talking about, he's actually God, created everything. And then, the next section, he just changes subjects. And it's kind of weird because we get this, this incredible lead up to, to who the Christ is, to the nature of the Messiah, and we're ready to hear about him. And then John switches to the testimony of John the Baptist. And in some ways, this seems strange because we're all pumped up, ready to hear about the Messiah. We're ready to hear about him, what he's going to do, but we get redirected. But in other ways, it makes total sense because we realize that the, John the Baptist is a pretty important person in the New Testament. He was actually sent to make way for the Christ, to get them prepared to receive the Messiah. He came to point the way to Jesus. And in sharing, as John shares John the Baptist's testimony, we also see a reinforcement to the things that John was saying in that first section. Right? We see that he was before, Jesus was before John, even though he was born after John. Showing that he was eternal. He was always there from the beginning. We see that he's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the universe. But now as we get to this last section of the first chapter, we kind of get to see Jesus in the flesh, so to speak. Instead of just hearing about him, hearing about him being described, we get our first glimpses of Jesus in action. And this last section also shows us how the earliest disciples of Jesus, how they met him and how they came to follow him. And what I think is actually a a pretty great demonstration or illustration of what evangelism is supposed to look like. We see a biblical model of evangelism because we have John the Baptist who introduces Andrew and another disciple, we actually don't know who this disciple is. Many have speculated that it's John himself as this disciple with Andrew. Um, but we don't know for sure because it doesn't say. But we have John the Baptist. He introduces Andrew and this other disciple to Jesus. And they start following him. And then Andrew, after he has a revelation of who Jesus is, he goes and runs to his brother, Peter, and invites him. 
And then we also see where we find Philip is, is invited to follow Jesus in this section too. But in this case, Jesus goes directly to Philip himself. But then as soon as Philip finds out what's going on, he runs and tells his friend Nathaniel, say, hey, come and see who I just met. So from the beginning, we get to see what evangelism is supposed to look like, starting from the source when Jesus was right there. We get to see the things that we're supposed to be doing. Amen? So let's get started. John 1, 35-36 says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So now this is the, the third day in the sequence that John is sharing. You remember the first day John shows up, and he's baptizing people, and the Pharisees show up, and they start grilling him. Who are you? What are you doing? The second day, John's out there again, still doing his thing, and Jesus shows up. And this is where he first recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the entire world. And at this point, we know that he baptizes Jesus. That's not actually in the book of John. That's recorded in the book of Matthew. But we see that he baptizes Jesus, and the Spirit comes down like a dove, and it rests upon him. And what God had told John the Baptist was, the one you see, the Spirit come down like a dove and rest upon him. It's him who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So now we see Jesus show up. We have a, a miracle take place, a supernatural event happen to, to prove that Jesus is the one that God was talking about. And now now it's the third day. John's back out there doing his thing, still pointing people to Jesus. He's hanging out with his disciples, and then he sees Jesus walking by. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And one of the things that we can glean for this uh, chronological ordering of what's happening the days is that these first two disciples that we're going to read about these two disciples that he's standing with him, they were with John first. These guys weren't, weren't at home doing their own thing, and then Jesus went and found them, but the, these guys were already preparing the way for Jesus. They had already heard John preach. They had already repented. They're one of John's disciples, and they heard who John was preaching about. They knew that someone was coming, and they're standing around, and they hear John say, Behold the Lamb of God. And as I was studying this, I learned that even the way that the Greek is written with the, the way they, the verb tenses are used for him walking by seems to illustrate this idea that the, the, the ministry of Jesus is coming in and the ministry of John is now going to be backing away. John's standing there, but Jesus is passing him by. Jesus is moving forward. And John says, behold the Lamb of God, which just further reiterates this idea that John's not there for himself. You remember that first day? They're all, they're all grilling about who he is, and they keep asking him. He's like, no, I'm not that person. I'm not that person. And it's finally like, listen, guys, you're not listening to me. Quit worrying about me. Worry about the one I'm pointing to. It's Jesus. Because John was so concerned that people would see Jesus. He didn't care if they followed him. He wanted them to follow Jesus. And, and it just reiterates that. He's out there doing his thing. Jesus, behold, there's the Lamb of God. This is the one I was telling you about. He wasn't pointing to himself. He was pointing to Jesus. And, and it's likely that John never really expected his disciples to stay with him. 
Because John's whole purpose was to point to Jesus. There was probably an expectation that when we find the one, you guys stop following me and you go towards him. And we know this from the other Gospels because remember what John says. He says it's, it's important that I decrease so that he may increase. This was his mission. And there's no indication that he actually felt abandoned by his disciples. Which is actually pretty cool because I've had people who were discipling under me and have left the church and, and, uh, for, for many a different reasons. Sometimes they just move, sometimes stuff comes up. But I know for me, it always hurts when somebody I love leaves. And now we have John. He's got, he's, as we're going to see, his disciples stop following him and start following Jesus. But there's no indication that he's hurt by this because this was always the plan. This was always the mission. This is exactly what John wanted them to do. And then in John 1, 37 through 39, it says, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So now we have the two disciples and they're standing near John, around John. The Scripture doesn't actually say John told them, Behold, this is the Lamb of God. It may have been John just, just in awe, saying it out loud. But these disciples, they overheard what John said. It says, They heard him say this, and they began following Jesus. They heard John declare who he was, and they said, You know what? We need to find out about this guy. They began following Jesus. And... Uh, like I said, they may have just overheard him. It's not explicit that he told them, but they knew that there was something there that they needed to figure out what was going on. They heard him, and as a result, they began to follow. And the interesting thing is here, <laughs> when it says that they turned and followed Jesus, you know, when, when we see this and we read this, we're like, oh, these are the disciples. This must be the moment. When they, 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 they dropped what they were doing, they were going to follow and serve and become a disciple of Jesus. But the reality is, is, this probably is written to say, no, they just literally started walking after Jesus. They were following him. Um, I think it's a little foreshadowing going on here. But they're literally just following him. The reason why I know that they're literally just following him is because Jesus saw them following. And he turns around and says, hey, what are you guys looking for? What are you seeking? I wonder how Jesus said this. Now, I don't know if you guys read the scripture and think about these things. But Jesus is out doing his thing. He turns around, and we got Andrew and this other disciple. Like, I wonder what they're doing. Are they just, like, out in the open, like, we're on a mission to reach him? Or are they, like, like they're walking behind him. Jesus stops, and, you know, they do that thing where they're like, hey, look busy. Don't let, them, let them see what you're doing. But they're following after Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says, what do you seek? And so I wonder how he says it. Because do you think Jesus was just, you know, like, we, we have this regal vision of Jesus. I, was it an aggressive tone? Like, Dude, what are you guys doing? <laughs> What's going on here? What do you guys need? I keep turning around and you're right behind me, but you're not coming up and talking to me? Or was it a welcoming tone? Truth is, I guess we'll never know until we speak to Jesus and see how it went down. But then they respond, and their response could have been any number of things as well, right? They could have said, who are you really? They could have said, John says you're the Lamb of God. Is this true? They could have said, are you the one that's going to come overthrow the Romans? 
There was all kinds of things they could have answered Jesus, but instead of coming up with any kind of doubtful tone, are you, are, you know, who are you, what are you going to do? They just said, they called them uh, a rabbi. They, 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 they spoke to him in a, with a term of respect. And then they asked, where are you staying? What an interesting response. Because like, when you read this, it doesn't kind of make any sense. Like he asked them, what are you seeking? And they said, well, where are you staying? But the reality is to demonstrate that these disciples had a desire to be with Jesus. You see, we're going to start to see this pattern of what it looks like to follow Jesus. First, you hear about them. And you have a desire to be with him, so you go to him. And he says, where are you staying? We want to be with you. And then Jesus says, come and see. Jesus was inviting them to join him. And the truth is, they had a choice. They could go and be with Jesus, or they could leave. They could go keep looking for the answer, looking for what they were looking for in someone else instead of in the one who was actually the answer. But instead, they decided to be with Jesus. They chose to be them. And this is where they go from physically following Jesus, as in directionally, like walking behind him, to becoming his disciple. And we're starting to see this perfect picture of what evangelism looks like because first, like I said, you have to hear about him. We hear about Jesus, and then you have to come and see. That's the next step. And respond to what he's saying. You have to make that choice. And then once you respond to the come and see, you make a choice to be with him or you go your own way. And church, we have a part to play in that. Because we need to make sure that people hear about him. We need to be the ones that invite him and say, come and see, so that they have an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to make that decision to be with him. As we go on in verses 40 through 42, it says, and of one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. This is how we know one of them was Andrew. Still don't know who the other one was. But this is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. So like I said, we find out who the, this disciple is. is Andrew. He's Peter's brother. And Andrew responds to finding out who Jesus is the way that we all should respond to finding out who Jesus is. See, he hears, he comes and sees, and then he follows Jesus, and the next thing he does is tell somebody else. Andrew understood the significance of Jesus being the Lamb of God. And he goes and he tells his brother Simon, and I'm not sure what, about how this, this wording actually means, because it says he first found his own brother. Now, I don't know, mean, don't know if this means that of all the people he told, his brother was the first, or as soon as he had a revelation of who Jesus was, the first thing that he did was run and tell his brother. Probably a little bit of both. But the thing is, is he's excited. When you get this kind of news, 
You have to tell somebody. It's an amazing thing. I mean, when, when you first got saved and you recognized Jesus loved you and he took away all of your sins and you made you right with God, you were completely forgiven, you were completely brand new, you have to tell somebody about that because that is an amazing thing that happens. And we are, all of us are eager to tell other people about good news in our lives. You get a new job, you better be sure you're telling somebody about it because you're excited. You and, your, you and your spouse get pregnant. Man, that's amazing. Let's go tell somebody about it. We get excited. You get a raise at work. Man, you're excited. You tell somebody about it. You win the lottery. You tell some people about it. Some people you don't tell, like your, your family, because they might come after it. But you tell people about it. You're excited. Even as mundane things as our favorite sports team winning, we're going to tell somebody about it. But how many of us are excited to tell others about Jesus, about the Messiah. How many of us do Do you understand what you have? How could we not be excited to tell other people about Jesus? There's a story that I once heard, and I, I was trying to remember where I heard the story. I can't remember where I heard it. I don't know if it's true or if it's just an illustration, but this is how it goes. There was a young man <clears throat> who was, uh, he was in high school, he was, he was very much against Christianity. He was against God, very outspoken against it. And one day, he goes on a field trip to go, they go, go to watch a movie with, the, with his classmates. And he ends up getting seated on the bus with another young man who's a Christian. And this young man begins to minister the gospel, right? He's, he begins to say, you hear about Jesus? Come and see. And he, he, he makes an impact with this young man who was previously so against the gospel that he, he was, he was uh, aggressive against it. But his heart changes. In that moment, a miracle takes place, and this young man gets saved. So they go to the movie theater, and they're sitting there watching the movie, and there's a, there's a problem with the projector. So they're all just waiting around with the lights on, waiting for them to project to do the projector, and he's, he looks to his, his new friend, and he says, we've got to tell him. He says, what do you mean? He says, we've got to tell him about Jesus. I mean, look what happened. We have to, they have to know. We have to tell him. And the, the one that's been a Christian while, you know, says, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, we'll get up there. They'll, they'll do all kinds of stuff. He's like, no, I have to tell him. So this young man gets up there. He stands on the stage of the movie theater, and he begins to share the gospel just born again because he was so excited for what happened to him. The problem is, is that many of us are like that Christian who've been doing it for a long time. What if they laugh at us? What if we get embarrassed? What if all these things happen and we play all these things through our mind? But the truth is, is we have something amazing. How could we not share that with other people? That should be the first thing on our mind. And that's what happened here. Andrew, he hears, he believes, and he goes and finds Peter. And he tells Peter, hey, we found the Messiah. And what does Peter do? He goes to Jesus. He comes and sees. And then from living a couple thousand years in the future, we actually know what happens here. We know that Peter follows Jesus. We know the end result of this. When Peter comes and sees, we know he begins to follow Jesus. And then when Jesus sees him, he says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And there are lots of people who 
who, who talk about what this means. And we, we know that, that uh, uh, Cephas actually means, uh, sounds very similar to the word for rock in the, the Greek, I believe. And, and Peter's going to be a rock. He's a pillar of the Christian community. But when I look at this, I see something even more profound, even more beautiful. When you are born again, you are no longer who you used to be. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior, it's not just an intellectual commitment you make, but there is a supernatural miracle that takes place. Who you used to be is removed. The old man is gone, and it's replaced by a brand new man. The old heart is removed. The heart of stone, a heart of flesh is inserted. The Spirit of God comes to live inside you. You're no longer who you used to be. You are brand new. You see, when, when Simon responded to Jesus, he was no longer who he used to be. He was brand new. And Jesus says, look, you were Simon, but now you're Cephas. Now you're Peter. Now you're brand new. Amen? What an amazing picture of being changed by Jesus Christ. And then in verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. So the the, the first two, Jesus' first two disciples, Andrew and the, the one who wasn't named, they actually sought out Jesus. They heard about him, they sought out Jesus. The third disciple, which was Peter, he was brought into the fold by Andrew, right? Andrew went and found him and said, hey, come and see Jesus. But this fourth disciple, this fourth apostle, we see that Jesus specifically reached out to him. But the, the end result is the same. He hears about Jesus and he comes and sees. And the end result is always the same. You're requested to follow Jesus. The request is always, follow me. There really is no halfway to being a disciple of Jesus. The call is always to follow him. You see, Jesus went before many crowds. And many people came to see Jesus. They were looking for something from him. They were looking for something they could get. They heard about Jesus. He could do miracles. They needed a healing. They needed something. So these crowds would come and they would see Jesus, but then they would go back home once they got what they wanted. But the disciples, those are the ones who followed him. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't just come on a Sunday morning and get what you want and go home. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to follow him. And that impacts every area of your life to follow him. Disciples don't just come for a taste of Jesus. They're all in, amen? And as we go on to 44 through 46, it says, Now Philip was from Beth Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So once Philip had been called, he understands who Jesus is. And he runs out and tells somebody. And you're starting to see a pattern here. See, Philip also had a revelation of who Jesus was. He used a slightly different wording. He says, look, we found the one of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. You remember that Andrew said, hey, we found the Messiah. They're really saying the same thing, just using different words. Because Moses and the law and the prophets, they all wrote of the Messiah. They all wrote of Jesus, which is actually a pretty amazing thing. Did you know that Jesus fulfills over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament? 300 prophecies Jesus has fulfilled. 
This is who Moses was, was writing about. This is the prophets were writing about. And not only did they describe who Jesus would come, but the interesting thing is they actually proved that Jesus was who he says he was because he fulfilled them. But Nathaniel, he responds a little bit differently than the others. He expresses a little bit of doubt because it seems that maybe Nazareth doesn't have such a high reputation. He says, wait a minute, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there may have been some stigma regarding the people of this town or just the town itself. May have just been disliked because as I was reading, I learned there was a, a Roman army garrison camped at Nazareth. Maybe it was just really not a big place. This is kind of an insignificant place. Maybe it's because, as we'll find, that the Nathaniel um, had some idea of the Messianic prophecies and, and, and uh, uh, Nazareth is not, is not really mentioned in any of the Messianic prophecies. Either way, though, this is a pretty doubtful and rough remark. Can you imagine if this was you saying this about Jesus? Like Jesus walking up, like, I wonder if he like, thought back and was like, man, I can't believe I said that. I mean, I've said some dumb stuff, and I think back and think, I can't believe I said that. I wonder if he did. We don't know. It doesn't say, but I just wonder these things. But the response from Philip when he expresses the doubt is a pretty common one that we've seen today. Come and see. And here's the thing. What if Nathaniel hadn't set aside his prejudice? What if Nathaniel decided beforehand that nothing good could come out of Nazareth and he didn't respond to the, the call to come and see? Because here's the thing. There are many people who have already made up their mind about Christianity. They've already made up their mind about Jesus. And they have a negative response but that shouldn't stop us from asking them to come and see. I look back at my life, and I negatively responded to that call to come and see so many times before finally I said yes. But it's because nobody gave up on me. Somebody kept asking. There are people that we have to keep asking, keep praying for. And then an interesting note here, if you guys didn't know this, Nathaniel is not actually mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels. That's the other three. He's not mentioned in those Gospels. In the Synoptic Gospels, whenever we talk about Philip, it doesn't mention Nathaniel. He's often paired with Bartholomew. And Bartholomew is not mentioned in John's Gospel. So it actually uh, makes sense that these two are probably the same. Who knows? Maybe Jesus said, Nathaniel, you're not Nathaniel anymore. Now we're going to call you Bartholomew or vice versa. But it's likely because of the way they're paired in the other Gospels that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. So just a side note, you can tuck that one away somewhere. In verse 47 through 48, it says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You see, Nathaniel decided to come and see. He overcame that prejudice. He decided to come to see. And as he approaches, Jesus actually pays him, pays him a pretty high compliment. An Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And this is actually a pretty high compliment because some of our most famous Israelites had some deceit. I mean, 
Jacob for crying out loud. His, his whole deal was deceit. He tricked his brother. He out to steal his birthright. So this is a uh, pretty high, high compliment from Jesus to Nathaniel. And also, this greeting indicates some knowledge of who Nathaniel is. So because of this, and because Nathaniel never met Jesus before, he says, he says okay, but how do you know me? And Jesus responds, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus responds that he had supernaturally seen Nathaniel under the fig tree. Now, many have said that this is because Jesus is God and he's omniscient, and that's why he saw these things. And, and, uh, but when I look at this, personally, I kind of disagree with that sentiment. I don't think Jesus saw it because he was God and his omniscient, because the Scripture says that Jesus set his deity aside. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he set aside many of the privileges that he had as God so that he could live as a man, and he accepted many of the limitations that we have. Jesus got hungry. Jesus had to drink. Jesus had to use the bathroom. Jesus got angry and happy, and he felt all the emotions that we have. He needed to pray. He needed to spend time with his Father. Uh, He accepted all the limitations that we have because he chose to live as a man. So even though he was fully God, he didn't operate in the things that he had because he was God. Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we need the power of the Holy Spirit today as well. And I believe that in these instances where you see Jesus operating this way, it's because he's operating through the Holy Spirit. He's operating one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I actually think this is one of, an example of a, a gift of a, of, a, of a word of knowledge where the Holy Spirit is showing Jesus something. I believe that's how Jesus knew Nathaniel and saw him under the fig tree. Because when Jesus lived, he lived completely as a man when he was on this earth. And so because of this, in in, uh, verses 49 through 51, Nathanael answers him and says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So it's apparent that Jesus spoke true of Nathanael under that tree. And this was enough for him to understand that Jesus was who he says he was. You know, sometimes getting someone to just come and see creates an opportunity that they can have an encounter with Jesus that could change their life forever. You see, Nathaniel was doubting before, but when he came and see, he has an experience with Jesus, an experience with God that changes his life forever, and he recognizes him for who he was, and he responds, and we know that he responds as a disciple, as an apostle. And then when he says, like, man, this is crazy. You truly are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, because I said to you about this thing under the tree? Jesus kind of shrugs this miracle off. He kind of shrugs it off and and says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then it seems that Jesus is giving a reference to Genesis 28, 12, which it says, he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is Jacob dreaming. This is commonly referred to as Jacob's ladder. But the point being is that now that Jesus is here is that that heaven is now open for continuous communication with the earth. 
communication is now open between the two. Jesus made it so there's no longer any separation. Jesus had replaced Jacob's ladder as the means with which this was accomplished. It's a pretty amazing story as we read about what's happened here over the course of this story. But over the course of this, this, this short section of the first chapter, we start to see a pattern emerge. And that's to hear, to come and see, and then follow him. And like I said earlier, church, we all have a role to play in this. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, we're part of this pattern of evangelism. We've heard, we came and see, and we responded, and we've decided to follow Jesus. And then once you make a decision, the next step is to go tell somebody else about it. And people think, man, that's, I don't want to push my religion on anybody. I want people to make their own choice. I don't want to, to do all these things, or how are they going to treat me? But here's the thing. If you really believe what you say you believe, and that is, is that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, that salvation only comes through Jesus, what kind of people do we have to be to not want to share salvation with somebody else? If we really believe what it says, if we believe that if, if they don't get saved, that they're going to hell, and this is an eternal thing, what kind of people do we have to be to not share that with others? It's like if you knew there was a bomb in a building, and you, just, you knew it was there, you knew it was going off in five minutes, and people keep walking in the building, and you're like, eh, I'm out of here. What kind of person do you have to be to keep letting people walk into a building that's about to blow up? So church, I would just encourage you. Listen, we came, and we saw, we heard, we responded, and now let's share that with other people. Let's follow this pattern so that the cycle continues, so that they come and they hear, they come and see, they get saved, and they tell other people. That's how we win the world. It's not by having huge um, evangelistic events. It's about each and every one of us talking to our friends, our neighbors, and our coworkers, telling them about Jesus. And knowing that sometimes they might respond negatively, but that doesn't mean we don't ask them to come and see. Now, I'm not talking about beating people over the head with your Bible. I'm not talking about being judgmental jerks. I'm not talking about any of those things. But when the opportunities arise, share with people so that they can come and see. Amen. Church, let's be a people that says, come and see. Let's go ahead and bow our head.